Hi there, my name is Julie Von Blank, and I am really excited to be here. I am a domestic violence certified um, advocate in the state of Oregon. I work in the industry in DV. I am a survivor. I'm also an author and a speaker as well, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Hey everybody, it's Pearl, and I just want to welcome you back to another episode of Conversations with Pearl. And we are coming on an, uh, after, off our week of being at our amazing seventh annual pajama retreat. And it was so fun to have 26 women in the Gulf Shores of Alabama. We got to see the sunrise and sunset all from the back patio of this beautiful house we had right on the beach. And saw 26 women really start to dream relentlessly in their lives. And Today, I'm so excited to bring our special guest on with us. We're going to dab more into the retreat. We're going to talk a lot about some great things that Julie's doing. And I just want to also tell you that if you are just going to give you a trigger warning, if you're somebody who's uh, walking through domestic violence or has before, we're going to talk a lot about that subject today, but it's going to be great conversation for you. And so Julie Von Blank, she teaches on the subject of domestic violence, human trafficking, marketing websites, and writing. She is the author of a suspense fiction series on human trafficking, and you can download a free two-in-one ebook set. We'll put it in here. It's at innocentjourneys.com. We'll make sure you get it off the show notes as well. She is a certified domestic violence advocate, a survivor, and an abuse recovery group leader. She is on the Survivor Voices Committee for the Family Justice Center of Washington County, and by day, serves as Women's Educational Director for ARMS, which is Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. She has participated in many classes and is considered an expert in the domestic violence field. She has written the five-week online faith-based facilitator training, which is DVAT, and the ARMS, Abuse Recovery Ministry and Services, which uses and also has written the courses Stalking Obsession, Compassion Fatigue, leader, I'm sorry, compassion fatigue and leader boundaries, risk assessment and safety planning, how domestic violence and human trafficking intersect, and mental health and personality disorders in your group members for ARMS. In her spare time, she enjoys reading, writing, gardening, and of course, just like me, spending time at the beach. So excited to have you, Julie. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I feel like you introduced three of me, not one of them. That was way too long. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. No, what everybody know all about you. I'm so excited. I know we talked before about coming on the show and just having a conversation around what you do, what you, your what your story is, and how you are impacting others, not only just in your where you're at in your world, but also across the nation. So let's talk a little bit about your story. Let's dive right into that. You know, tell us about. What brought you to where you are today? Bring us back to your story and how it empowered you to do something with your story. If I think about what first brought me, it changes. And as you heal, more things come out of the woodwork. And so, you know, what I thought brought me uh, to the Her Journey program, which is the free abuse uh, recovery program that ARMS runs was a 17-year uh, marriage to a man who was not only abusive, but was very addicted. He was very addicted to opiate medications and eventually, uh, toward the end of his life, did a lot of meth um, as well. <clears throat> and I thought that was really my one and only circumstance. But when I considered my previous relationships, even before my marriage, I realized there had actually been three abusers in my life. 
And then later in my healing, and this was really just last year, I decided to do a timeline. I decided to write out a timeline of the significant areas of my life and the traumas that had happened. And what I discovered was um, I was actually groomed at the age of 13 by a 28-year-old man at that point in time. And I had somebody contact me within my family during that time period that said, you know, I did did some things when you were little and you may not remember. And and I didn't. And so when I work with gals, I always know there's more than a surface story, you know, that brings us to. And although my 17-year marriage is what actually finally forced me to get help, I realized that there was something in me that needed healing. And until I did that, I was going to keep returning to these relationships that were, you know, unhealthy for me which is why I set out to decide to work on myself (laughs) and to work on the healing that I needed because I knew finally that I deserved better. You know, and that's what it comes down to really is your worth and your value. And when you understand and you realize how how valuable you are and how much you are worth, then you realize, you know, I, I don't deserve this. You know, I do deserve better and there's better out there, you know, for me if I reach out and I take it. And I heal, right? And I work on myself. So I'm choosing, making good choices in my relationship. Yeah, I I'm I wrote down like timelines and talking about traumas going deep and and you're right because traumas it can be so many different levels and and if we've had more than one trauma in our life it, you know it's you have to work through each one of those and and it's hard work it's not easy work because like you said you may not even remember some of the trauma uh, I remember when we were trying to in our Shira League we we're trying to do uh, working on your inner child. And the ladies that in our group, they really struggled with that. And it like someone was like, I didn't have trauma in my life when I was little. And I'm like, you didn't necessarily have to have like a trauma of like domestic violence or sexual assault, but sometimes it could just been somebody saying something to you or, you know, go, it could have even been like, go, you're not supposed to talk, you know, as kids were learned, don't say anything, you know, listen, don't say, you know, and so they, they struggled with that piece of the pie. Like, how do I, you know? work through that. So we actually had to put it on a shelf because they really were having a problem, no matter how many times we try to break it down differently, because it's hard. It's hard to go deep into that trauma. As, as you were saying, you've done that work. And, and so tell us a little bit about that. Like, did you, is it something you did on your own? Did you seek help? And, and how, when, as you're going through the trauma, what kind what things came up that you, that you recognize, oh, those were those, that's how that showed up in my life. Mm-hmm. It was a process. And, you know, I'm often asked, can you just, you know, can you just, they know I'm an author. Can you just write a book? (laughs) When will healing be complete? This, 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 and this, and this has to take place. And of course it doesn't work that way, right? It's different for every single person. So for me, that first step was really finding the free hair journey group because all of a sudden I was validated and people got me and I was like, man, I'm not crazy after all, you know, because of all the gaslighting and crazy making that goes on. So that group was essential. And 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 I'm kind of a type A, you know, I don't know if you pick that up, but I, I marched into a group thinking I want to lead these groups because I want women to know that they they don't need to stay in these relationships, you know, and, and I come from a spiritual perspective. And so I was very much raised, you know, with that at the pulpit that you do whatever you can to keep your marriage together, you know, no matter what that takes. And so I had been learning differently. Um, but as I would leave lesson after lesson, just tears pouring down my face. I had a very patient leader, thank goodness, who saw my potential. Um, but I realized, you know, I, I'm not ready to leave yet. I've got, you know, this is my next step. So what I found in my healing is that it really is a next step process for me. So 
going through um, her journey, not once, not twice. I think I went through it three times, you know, in a full cycle and taking my time with that um, was important uh, for me. I had some counseling early on uh, with some with some lay pastors from our church. And they are, to, to bless their hearts, because not all pastors do this, but literally handed me the chart of abusive behaviors and said, you know, do these happen at home? And I was so heightened at the time that I laughed and gave it back to them. And I, I look at that now and I realize that, you know, I was in complete trauma mode. I was in survivor mode. I'm trying to raise these kids, right? With this abusive person at home. So I, I literally laughed and I handed it back and he wouldn't take it back. I, I'm pushing it at him and he's like, you know, and I'm like, take it. And I was a big sigh and I start, you know, trickling <laughs> when I realized, you know, what, you know, what he had handed me. And so I did get some counseling, you know, early on. And some of my gals do need a little bit more, you know, deeper. Um, and I do, you know, I do abuse recovery coaching on the side as well, because I had to, because there's so many ladies that need extra, you know, extra help and one-on-one and processing time. And group is not always the most appropriate place for them. You know, you can trigger other people. Um, you can, you know, try, you can, we're so happy to finally get an audience that, you know, gets us and understands us that we can easily take the whole hour and a half, you know, sharing our story and the, and the lesson never happens. So um, reading was a part of my healing and that was a step. Um, and then, you know, there was something that came along that I had forgotten about because we were in, a, we were in abuse. You know, what do we do when we're trying to seek to be somebody else that we're not? in order to keep the peace, right? And so throughout my healing, God was giving me these little nudges that you need to go back to your writing. And I was like, I can't, I can't write. I was too traumatized to write. But I did realize when I got down, got down and started writing again, that that was part of my, that was part of my healing process. Getting things out on paper, starting to share with other people, using my gifts, you know, for other people to help ever, you know, to help other people. So that was important for me. Um, and then for me, service, you know, I guess that's the fourth branch of it. You know, not all of us are called to serve other people when we go through these things, but some of us are, and it's a big responsibility. And I knew not that it would go to waste, but I knew that I didn't want to have to have gone through all that and not have it help other people, you know, in some way, shape or form. So that started my education and getting into the industry and becoming an advocate and, and, and helping these gals and, and the leading recovery meetings. Um, and that was 11 years ago. And then I've been on staff with ARMS now for for five years. Back to the program that was originally really saved my life. Literally, literally did save my life. So, And then, you know, every time I think it's complete, it's not that silly healing process. <laughs> so, you know, as I mentioned, um, I, uh, you know, I did a timeline now. And let me tell you the reason I did a timeline a year ago. It's, it's interesting. It's because my, my second husband is now trained. He's trained in family systems theory. The Bowen theory, and I don't know if you've heard of them or not. But part of what he does when he goes in and he does he does church mediation and congregational mediation um, and interim work is he has them draw not just a timeline of the history of the traumatic events in their church, but in their personal lives, because the ones in the church in particular repeat themselves, always repeat themselves. And he literally puts out a big roll a butcher paper across three tables and, you know, has a meeting and everybody has pens and they come in and they fill in the years. And this happened here. And Mrs. Jones was like, oh, but what about when that pastor did that then? Or what about when that happened then? And together they have a full picture. And so I got that idea from him, you know, to kind of put my timeline into place. I did not use butcher paper. I did not use three tables, (laughs) but I did take three pieces of paper together on my desk and 
and just start plotting it out. Um, I did hide it from my kids. So just, you know, anybody who tries, I'd be aware it probably shouldn't be for everybody's eyes. But that also became a step in my healing because I had not yet gone back to the childhood stuff. Um, and I also had an instance of uh, physical abuse as, you know, as a child. And I had kind of brushed it off and not really considered it. So what that timeline forced me to do was to acknowledge it, to get it out on paper, to look at it, and then to be able to release it. Because when I connected with my second husband, reconnected, I should say, we were connected in college or we reconnected later. Um, I kind of asked him, I'm like, I don't know why you're drawn to me. And so I had so much trauma. You know, I felt like I had, I'm a victim all over my shirt. You know, <laughs> I've been abused, abused me more because I kept drawing these types of people. And he said something very key to me. He said, Julie, he said, abuse is part of your story. He said, but it's not your identity. And I was like, how can that be? I'm a thinker, you know, just pretend I'm three. Cause I'm like, but why? But why? <laughs> and why? So I had to think about it. And <clears throat> when I think about things, I put them on Facebook. I'm a social media person. So I put on Facebook and I literally had two or three people say, how can that not be a part of your identity? It happened to you. Therefore, it's part of your identity. So I went to a coach that I was seeing at the time. And I'm like, well, you know, help me out here. And she said something very key to me. She said, number one, your identity, she said, is about how God sees you. She goes, and number two, it's about your future, not your past. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense now that my husband felt that way. So now I'm able to tell the gals that I work with, you know, I tell them that story and I tell them I want, you know, abuse will always be a part of your story. I'm so sorry. It never should have been, you know, but you can heal from it. Um, and it doesn't have to be a part of your identity. It could be a piece of your story that you change the ending, you change the middle um, and you make it into what you want to be. And that's encouraging to people. So it was a lot of steps of healing for me. And I think there's still some days that, you know, I have to work on it. So for instance, I teach a lot, right. And I do recovery groups and I take phone calls. So I get, I get the load on, you know, the experience. So I take care of myself. I have a processing group online that's all survivors. And as I need to, I dial in um, at noon <clears throat> and that's all we do is check up and check in. So we go around the room and whatever's on our heart, we just spew it out and get encouragement from other people. And it's my way to be able to unload into what was going on in my life so that I can better help the people that I'm trying to help. I I heard so much so that I'm going to want to unpack a lot what you share. It was so powerful. Um, and I, I hope in the listeners are, you know, grab a pen and paper because there's some, I wrote, took like all kinds of notes as you were sharing and, you know, like finding the right support that I, a lot of that, what I feel like you just said is having the right people around you that can help you with the support, be that mentor to help you realize like what you said, you know, it's, it's part of your story, not your identity. Right. And that it's, it's how, how we see ourselves and also how God sees, you know, how God sees us, but also it's our future. It doesn't have to be our, it's not, it's our, not our past, you know, and I wrote that down. I think those were so big nuggets for me. I just took away what you just shared in that little bit of time. And, you know, and, also, I love the the I I could visualize that picture of your husband doing that with like in my and in my head. Just a kind of side note, um, we had um, our church was rebuilt here locally. I'm not going to say the church online, right? Online, but we had a big church built. And mm -hmm. before, you know, our smaller church, it was promised that if we had raised X amount of dollars, we would have the advance on what our land was worth, right? So I don't think they realized that we were we were a 
a congregation that could raise the money if we put our heads together, right? And we did just that. Well, when that happened, the advancement wasn't what was promised, wasn't, you know, and, and, you know, everybody's human. I mean, we have our faith, but then there's humans that are, we're going to standing in front of, you know, as our, as our leaders and our, and our pastors and such. And so there was a lot of human that came into the response Mm -hmm. instead of being like, okay, okay, God has now changed it. What are we doing with this? Right. And Mm -hmm. so at one point, a letter was written to all of us and, um, and, and it was, you know, and the letter came out and the, the parties who had done the promising of the funds got one of the letter and, and had said, well, if you're going, you know, if now when you leave this summer, as you always did on, on this sabbatical that you do and this mission you do out of the country, you can't come back to where we were at. And so the human side wrote this letter, you know, and, and I was like, when you said, that, I go, man, we needed your husband there to be like, okay, every one of you sit down. And even the ones you that promised, get your butts in here. Let's put this. I could just see that whole timeline on that piece of paper. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's so powerful to think about. And then you took that, you, your husband inspired you to take that and like break it down and put that timeline together. We don't remember to do that. Sometimes we, we sometimes, cause I, I know we buried it. I mean, I remember when I started, when I, you know, I met my husband at 19 years old, we got married young. I've been, we've been together almost 40 years. I'm very, very blessed. I've got an amazing person in my life. But I remember when I first met him, uh, I had, if you, if we would, we would horse around, you know, just playing around and stuff. And there would be a certain point where if he like held me a certain way, I'd freak out. Well, mm. it was because of him that, my trauma came out, my, you know, being raped by a babysitter when I was um, young and like freshman, eighth grade, freshman of high school time frame, And, you know, I had to go and, and do that work. I had to be like, this is what happened. I worked through it all. And, you know, and it still comes up sometimes. Like I remember about four years ago, my oldest son and I were wrestling and horsing around. He was tickling me or something. And he just did something. And I like freaked out and, you know, it triggered it. And, you know, he was old enough at that point that because he was in his 20s at that point, we could explain, okay, here's what's happened, you know, and but it does, it comes up and we have to know how to process it. And I like that you, you, you did that timeline and, you know, finding the right support also, and I wrote down like being validated, like finding the right support is so key because sometimes we think we can do it all on our own and we're not meant to do it on our own. We're not meant and, you know, I, I this past week at my retreat, I actually had somebody come up and said, well, you should have therapists here. And I was like, well, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, everybody, when they have the breakthrough that they're willing, that when they feel like they're in that safe environment, that they want to share their story, it may be the first time they're sharing. And I know my first time I've shared, I didn't want to go sit with somebody and be analyzed. Right. And so, you know, I, I try to explain that situation that not everybody is ready to go to a therapist and not everybody feels comfortable, but you do need to find the support, you know, like I, you know, having that somebody that is in the same, you know, has kind of walked that journey is, is important. I share that. um, I I do coaching for a nonprofit here locally, and it's, it's a home where the women are either transitioning from homelessness or they're um, in a recovery and they've got their kids and they're, you know, maybe they're trying to keep their kids. And so they get to go live in this, in this nonprofit home and I get to go in and coach them. And I tell them all the time, I said, your story is important because it's not going to end with you. And it's going to, when you, when you are able to go off on your own from this house and you, you know, you, you do the next step forward, somebody's going to come in behind you. 
So mm-hmm. share your story, make it powerful. Don't feel like you're alone because, you know, everybody, everybody needs that support. And, you know, and then I like what you talk about, like the healing has to, you know, it, it continues. It doesn't end. We are, we're always going through a journey of healing because just listening to people listening to this right now, they might be triggered and be like, I need, you know, I need to talk to somebody about what they're talking about. But I like, you know, I like what you said, like reading, writing your story and then servicing, like, how can I service others with my story? And I, I often talk on the show here that I, I believe, you know, that God gives us these talents or he's going to give us this journey and we might get mad and say, why the heck did you put me on this journey? Right. We, we might question it, but it's really not. Unfortunately, it's we can't change what happened. Life's not a remote. If we could, we certainly would fix a lot of things that happen in our world. However, if you don't do something with your story and don't heal, heal any trauma and or use your talents to do something powerful in the world, then you're cheating yourself. But really, like if you weren't doing what you're doing, Julie, you mm-hmm. wouldn't be empowering other women that they can heal, that they can move forward, that they can to share their story or be part of somebody else's journey of, of healing. And so I think it's really important that we that we talk about that. And I love that your husband, you know, gave you that support and and helped you see that you know, it's part of your story, but it's, it's not our identity, you know, it's not our identity. And if we think about things in our life, for those that are listening, you know, things happen in our life, whether it's, you know, you've been assaulted sexually, domestically, or it's just like you, somebody talked to you in a certain way, those things affect us and how we're, how people talk to us. And it's what we do with that. And as we, you know, find the support and the people to help us heal, but also, paying it how do you how do you take that and turn it into a value for somebody else to heal and and I, I you know I think all through what you said so far I think the big thing stands out for he, for support but I want to go back for a second and those that are listening the kids you know that that survivor mode you called it to you know I, I'm in survivor mode I've got my kids to take care of I was talking with somebody earlier and she was on the summit that we were on with Michelle Jewsbury as well a few months ago. And she, she said, she finally got to that point where she was like, I've been doing survivor mode, but I got to do something to, for my kids. Cause I don't want to live like this. And, and, and she shared that, at, you know, her kids are older now and her daughter had come back to her and said, I don't know what our life would have been like if you'd stayed with dad. And mm-hmm. I don't know what my life would have been like if you'd stay with dad. It's so different now because you found the strength to do something and, you know, not live in survivor mode anymore, but to live like my life matters. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, so uh, talk to us about that and how, how old were your kids at the time? And then also talk to us about how you, you know, when you just finally decided I'm no longer going to live this life and I need to make that, that leap to put me first and, and, and get some help. How did that affect your kids? You know, it's been tough on the kids. It goes both ways. Um, I want to return to a couple of things you said. Number one, that validation key. Because at one point in time, I thought that I needed my family and my kids to validate my experience in order to heal. And of course, it would be wonderful, right? If my abuser had actually come up to me and said, you know, I was not the nicest person. You know, I apologize. But that never happened. And it usually does not, you know, happen. And so I work within the gals because, you know, I, I had to understand that my healing came regardless of validation. So my kids are grown now too. And I still have one of my children 
<clears throat> in particular, um, that gets super defensive anytime his dad is mentioned. Um, and I think that he believes those things didn't happen. And he's blocked a lot of it out. I know he has a lot of grief. He's blocked out. He hasn't worked through it. You know, he's an adult. That's his choice. He's got to get there. Whereas my other two, um, well, one of them's like, you believe as you believe one. The other one's like, I totally believe you. But there's a loyalty issue there. And I struggled with that for a very long time because, you know, we had to co-parent as many people do with their abusers because our kids, um, let's see, you asked ages and they were, they were three and nine and 10 when the big split finally happened. So we had to co-parent a little bit. Um, and I had to agree to that because that's unfortunately what you get these days, even at a court situation. Um, and, you know, as my children grew, I had a commitment in my heart to not talk bad about their father. Um, however, he did not have the same commitment. So literally every weekend they spent with him, they would come back full of accusations. Why did you do this? Why did you take all dad's money? Why did you cheat on him? Why did you do that? You know, anything you could throw out there, you know, they would believe and it would take me two or three days to get them back to normal or it's sometimes even be speaking to me again. And I, I struggled with that for so, so long because it hurts your heart. You know, you got somebody, basically somebody who's out there <clears throat> trying to assassinate your character, you know, and who doesn't believe like you do and isn't taking the high road, certainly. Um, but one day a few years ago, my youngest looked at me um, and because I, I, I think I said too much. And I said, you know, you got to be careful what you tell your kids. They should not be your venting posts because they will have that loyalty issue whether they let you know that or not when it's an intimate partner situation and it's a parent that's been abusive but he looked at me um because i said i'm so frustrated i don't understand why this 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 and this is this and he finally looked at me straight in the eye and he said mom he said because he said if i believe you he goes that means dad's a liar and i was like oh it made i mean so much sense it wasn't just a we don't want to believe you mom it was a if we believe this what does that make this father in our life what does that really make him and we're not ready to go there yet even we're not ready to face that and so that validation that you need in your healing needs to come from what i call your camp in your camp he if it's an intimate partner situation or she whoever the abuser was will have their camp you may lose family you may lose friends you may lose church many of those lost some of those but what you've got to recognize is that they need their camp and you need yours, and your focus needs to be on your camp and your support network. Do not expect your children to be a part of your camp. They are unable to even mentally process it to do so. So do your best to stay on the same page, um, and I just recommend that. On another hand, people we work with need to realize that we're not just making changes for the women and men that we work with, but for generations to come. Let me tell you a story. There was a Thanksgiving, oh boy, I think it's been... It's probably been 15 years ago now. We were sitting all at my brother's house and my dad was at the head of the table. My dad was raised in a home of alcoholics. And he has nine he had nine brothers and sisters. And his dad was an alcoholic. His mom was not. She was a nice Lutheran lady who put up with that. I don't know how she put up with it. But he had nine brothers and sisters and they all drank. They have all died. They're gone. Many of my first cousins followed on that path. But my dad in high school actually went to church, went to a youth club and decided he was going to change his branch of the tree. And he literally came home and he made a tree on the wall with cardboard and colors. And he made his branch and he filled in his picture of what he thought his family was going to look like. And he changed our entire branch of our tree 
by being the white sheep of the family. Um, and I'm so glad I was born on his branch <laughs> and not other branches because we had 26 descendants around that table. 26 people. And my dad had broken that cycle, you know, um, of alcohol in our family. And it's the same with abuse. So that's what I tell my girls. You know, I want you to be able to look at your circle someday of your 30 descendants or 20 or whatever or 10. And know that you broke this, that generational cycle <clears throat> of abuse in your family. And you do that by education and you do that by healing and doing what you can to heal from your circumstances so that then your kids also heal, whether they realize it or not. Most of the time they don't realize it, but you are passing that healing on to them. That will benefit everybody in your family tree to come. You know, in a hundred years, you're going to have somebody looking up their ancestors and going, Wow, you know, this this person in our family is really abusive. What happened here? And and follow that track and build their own timeline, you know, of, of what occurred and what you were able to affect. That is like so powerful. Like I I'm gonna steal that from you and use <laughs> it with the ladies at the Mary Mar at the the Mary Martha house because I think that's power. I mean, first of all, let's talk about your dad for like doing that to recognize that. And we didn't talk about this. Like we didn't talk these things back then. You know, I don't know how old your dad is or was, but we didn't talk about this stuff. Like it, this was, in fact, last week at our retreat, we were talking about how taboo, like asking for help, getting help, going to, you know, a therapist or getting a coach. Those were things like you, you weren't supposed to talk about it outside your family that somebody was getting help or somebody, you know, and now, now we, it's like, it, it means it, even back then it was a sign of strength, but back then it looked at it as a sign of weakness and it's such right. a sign of strength to get help. But for your dad, I, I was like picturing that. I'm, I almost want to cry. I'm like picturing that going this, here's this young man going, I don't want to live like these other, you know, 10, whatever number of siblings he had. And that's a lot, you know, and said, I'm changing my life. I'm changing my future. And we talk about that today, but back then we didn't talk about generational. We have these discussions back then. And, right. and I could just, I could just picture as you were saying it, like your dad drawing that branch. And so if you're listening to us right now, I'm going to challenge you, get out a piece of paper and change your, your branch, redo your tree and, and think about like, because I'm like going not only for him, but then he looked at when I get married, when I have children, as you know, he looked at that future and said, I want my future for me. And those that are going to come along beside me that are going to be my children, my grandchildren, my great, just, I mean, just to, like you said, that generational, he's like, I want to change it. So if you're listening to us right now, I would highly recommend that you do something like, like Julie just described and like, put it up somewhere so you can see it. And every day when you walk, I think it's better than a vision board. I mean, it's truly to me, it's much better than a vision board to say, you know, I want to go after these things and here's my new branch and here's my new tree. And, uh, you know, my tree, it's, you know, it's, I, I almost picture, you know, like the, the branch falling down, it's still got some life on it and it's regrowing in a whole other tree trunk. Right. It's like the, you know, the saplings are coming up. Right. It's just like, it's just so powerful. And if you're listening, if you could just like close your eyes for a minute and picture that you can redo your branch. It's, mm -hmm. it's okay. And right now you're probably, you know, if you're listening to us and you, you're like in the middle of some of the things we're talking about, domestic violence, you, you know, trafficking, if you're in the middle of it, just know you can change your branch. It's mm -hmm. getting help, reaching out for somebody. And like you said, having your camp, mm -hmm. um, I think it was really, I think it's really powerful. Like you said that we can't use our kids for our camp. We, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, your kids cannot be your camp. They have to have their camp. 
And for and you're right for your for your son to say, if we acknowledge and say that you're you're right and you're you know being truthful, and they're not saying they don't believe you, but if they come in a hundred percent and say, I'm a hundred percent believer, then it's truly yeah, saying exactly. they have to process that their dad is, yeah, or if you it's vice versa, because we know women have used men too. I mean, if you're listening to us, you know, it's it's so powerful to remember that that that's a that's something the kids, you know. We put our parents on pedestals and they're supposed to be, you know, these perfect examples. And we forget that. And sometimes we don't learn it until we become adults that our, our parents were not, that should never have been on a pedestal. They should have never been, you know, I do this conversation with my mom and I'm sure my brother and my sister-in-law are going to listen to this, but I always say, mom puts you on a pedestal. My brother's seven years younger than me. I'm like, you can do no wrong in her mind. I got one of those too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell him, I love my brother to death. I go, she puts you on this pedestal. You can do no wrong. And, you know, then here's me, the oldest of the family that's out doing these things. And she's, you know, and she didn't have that in her life. And I have to recognize that you know, at 17 years old, she left and took off to Tijuana and got married and never had her voice, never had her life. And she didn't have her camp. She didn't have the right camp around her to say, you know, because when my parents, I mean, communication was nothing I learned growing up. I mean, my parents got an argument, you walked on eggshells, and then all of a sudden they're fine. You're like, oh, okay, they're talking now. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, it's and confusing so, for a kid. But, you know, when you're looking at those timelines, I actually would consider going back farther because you just mentioned your mom's experiences. And my mom, too, you know, she married at 19 to my dad. Unfortunately, it worked out. They've had their ups and downs. But she really had this. She was an only child. Her dad died early. She was a princess of the family. Right. And she really had that Cinderella mentality. You know, someday my prince will come and everything will be just fine. Yes. Not how it works. And no. of course, you have to race with that mentality. And it's like, yeah, that's not how it works. So think about those things if you are doing a timeline. Go back a generation or two. Go interview your cousins. Go interview yeah. your aunts and uncles about things you might not even know or even hear about your parents or your folks or your grandparents. Um, you know, dig into, uh, dig into your family Bibles if you have them. My grandma right. had a prayer journal that we had no, no idea that she had until she died. And then, I mean, it's just, just, I mean, it's just, whoa, when you read it, it's like we had no, cause she was very quiet, very quiet about her faith. Um, and we had no idea, but so much wisdom and so much history is, you know, recorded in that. Yeah. And in my family, history repeating itself, my girl cousins, you know, when I was going through my abuse and I finally came out, my girl cousins came out and guess what? My grandpa sexually abused them. Um, wow. Of my family. And I was fortunate that I was squirmy enough that I resisted him and it didn't happen to me. And thank God it didn't happen to me. But my cousins had to get their healing and they've seen that cycle of abuse before they got their healing, keep going, going down the thing. So they need to make their own, you know, tree branch, you know, because it will revisit and will take every opportunity to come and destroy you and your loved ones and your future loved ones if you don't. So if you can't do it for yourself, you know, and you do deserve to do it for yourself. I hope right. you get there. If you can't do it for yourself, think of that. Think of your future people. Yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so powerful. So let's talk about what led you. So you, you know, you went through and you started to do the work that you're doing and paying it forward. So what can somebody expect when they come in um, and join, they become in your world of, you know, helping them to heal and, and helping them to, you know, find their camp. Like, as you said, what's some of the things that you, that, that they can expect when they come into your world? 
Yeah, that camp is key. Um, I had coaching sessions with uh, my three ladies this last week that that's mostly what we talked about because they're in the phase that they have left their abuser. And now their abuser is talking bad about them that everybody believes the abusers and they're losing family and they're losing church people and they're just brokenhearted and devastated. And I have to refocus them on, you know, we're going to talk about this. That is his camp and this is yours. Now, who's in your camp? Get a piece of paper, write down who's in your camp. Well, my best friend from childhood, she believes in me. You know, you believe me. Okay, I'm like, write me down. Put me in your camp now on your side of the paper. And you've got to focus on your camp. And it's just, it's you know, it's different with every woman. I think in the beginning, there's a lot of listening, um, of course, and validation. And there's very important things to say. In fact, um, on our arm site, it's just abuserecovery.org. If you go under resources, there's a really good article that says the top, the 10 things you should know if you're trying to help survivors of abuse. Um, and this is where my healing came in when people did this for me was number one. And so this is what I do for them. Number one, I believe you, right? Number two, abuse is never, ever, ever your fault. Never your fault. And number three, you deserve better than this. And I've, and sometimes I even say I've been there. I don't always, um, but I do find, I don't go into details of my story and it's important that I don't at this point in time, when I first meet them in particular, later tidbits might come out. But um, right now, if I say, you know, I've been in your shoes, all of a sudden they just like to blossom. And sometimes they get burst into tears on the phone <laughs> because they find, you know, they finally have found somebody who understands the path, you know, that they're on. And so for then, for each lady, it's very individual. I do recommend that everybody get into some type of support group, whether it's faith-based or not. I have found, you know, even in our faith-based groups, we take people of non-faith. We just, you know, we, we're they're welcome. Everybody's welcome. Um, but we have found in our industry that the healing goes a lot deeper when you address that spiritual side as well. It's like part of a whole wheel and it's not addressed in a lot of recovery groups. And, but, you know, you've got to address that spirituality if you want that full healing and so I always recommend a group um, to start and then sometimes we will uh, meet at the group and I'll give them a homework assignment for the group or I'll be like what lesson did you go to this week and they'll tell me and we'll talk specifically you know about that lesson um, things normally come up you know there's people that realize things going on in their childhood some take a little more digging than others but I'm there more as a coach and less as a counselor but sometimes we do have to go backwards in order to get get forward, um, we deal with any present issues they're having. So let's say that they're really struggling to leave their to leave abuse because, well, he's never hit me, right? Or she's never pushed me down the stairs, right? Or she's not as bad. And, you know, the, the three things that we do that we teach to avoid painful decisions is we deny them. We deny it's going on at all. We minimize it, which means we say it's not that bad, Right. Um, and you know, we, we, so we deny and we minimize them and then we justify. And when we justify it, we're actually buying into that abuser's lies by thinking we're at fault and saying, if I hadn't have done this that night, this wouldn't have happened. Or we justify him or her. And we say, gee, if we hadn't been drunk that night, you know, I hear that quite a bit on the phone. This and that wouldn't have happened, you know? So we work, we work through that and we work through the fact that everybody has an inner house is what I call it like this. And I make a triangle and I say in the foundation of our inner house is our belief system and your abuser, whether it's your mother, whether it's your employer, whether it's your husband, wife, intimate partner, child or grown child. We see a lot of that. They have something in the foundation of their house, that belief that it is okay to be abusive, number one, and they have entitlement. 
going on, number two, right? In your inner of your house, in your foundation, you also have beliefs. And your belief system is what we're going to work on. Because what do you believe? What is keeping you in abuse? Is it that I'm not worth more? Is it that it's supposed to be this way and I was raised this way, so this is normal to me, right? Is it he's got you so beat down that you really believe the lies that he's saying? Our belief systems also affect the fact that we stay, you know, in abuse. And so those are at the core, you know, of what you've got to address with everybody is getting to the point that changing those belief systems so that then behavior can change. Because behavior cannot change as long as those belief systems are in place. So we talk a lot about inner house um, and work on all kinds of healing modalities. And then occasionally I find that uh, women in particular, um, but some men too, need to go further. And we will add on things like uh, EMDR therapy, the, the eye rapid desensitization. I can never say that word. Therapy or DBT therapy. Um, I've had some, if they get stuck, if they've been with me a long time, they're not making progress, or maybe they've been going to group for years and years and years, aren't making progress. Um, I, I've heard wonderful stories. They go to that and they come back and they're like, I'm finally hearing it. <laughs> I can finally absorb it, you know. Um, and then, of course, you have some, some of us are left with mental health disorders. You know, I have anxiety. Um, it's not super bad right now, but I, I can get triggered to a point sometimes where I have some panicky attacks or like airplanes and things like that. That's left over from my abuse. I have that startle syndrome. You know, give me a firework. I'm like, you know, somebody slams the door. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I, those are left over from my abuse. I never, ever had those before. And so sometimes, you know, as somebody goes forward, it also becomes evident that some mental health treatment, you know, or even a medication for some of those things like depression or anxiety can be, can, can shoot them so, you know, so forward as far as, you know, their healing could be really important for that particular person. So it is very individualistic um, as far as, you know, what to expect, um, because it just depends what stage the person is in and what they need to hear and what belief system they need to change. Right. They can't change their abuser. You can only change themselves. Yeah. So would you say, when you talk about the camp for a second, um, and you're right. You, we, it's, um, my friend, Lisa, she calls, you know, in life and in general, you know, we have what we call our balcony people. Right. And it can change. Would you say your camp can change too? Absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen it, seen it change. Um, and so it's something to be wary of. And it's also something to be wary of as you make new friendships and bring people into your life, you know, and you start explaining your circumstances and you get to that point whose camp they really actually are in and to be very, you know, pay attention to those red flags. So I have seen camps change. In fact, I have a good story of a camp change because when I finally did leave my husband, I lost his whole family too. And we had been married for uh, 17 years, you know, and so that was another mom and dad and two sisters and a grandma and cousins and nieces and nephews. And it broke my heart. I, it really broke my heart. None of them believed anything I said, you know, they were all and I comforted myself with there in his camp and I'm going to work on mine. Um, but guess what? Later on, when he was doing his stroke struggles, he ended up passing away. You know, they came to me and they said, you know what? He did not present you like you really are. And we know now all this time you had his best interests at heart. And I got them back. That's and so don't give up hope. You know, if you've lost camp members, whether that's church people yeah. or friends or family, you know, guard yourself. Be careful and don't talk to people you should, you know, don't want to talk to that you don't, that might get back to your abuser with what you're saying. You've got to be safe. Right. But don't give up hope that all is lost and that you'll never have your camp in those relationships again. 
Yeah, I, I love I, I love that, that happened for you. That's so beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I my husband. I'm just like it was just like the small family of four of us. My my dad and his siblings weren't close, so it was just us f- five of us. You know, three three kids and two and mom and dad. So when I met my husband, in fact, I was I have a a friend. She's getting uh, married next year, and um, she made a cake for our for our retreat. And I went by to pick it up and she was really stressed. I said, I said, what's the matter? She says, oh my gosh, he's got this big family. They're doing these text messages. I'm like, okay, stop, breathe. I said, I remember when I met my husband's family, that my my mother-in-law had 13 brothers and sisters. You know, my father-in-law had probably almost this, almost the same, you know, they're Italians in upstate New York. And mm-hmm. so I remember going into that and I said, like one day we went to the to my father-in-law's side and everybody was feeding us. And by the end of the day, after then we went to my mother-in-law's side. By the time we got to my Aunt Linda's house, and she's listening, she, I've told her this story all, all the time before. And I, I was like, Aunt Linda, I can't eat any more pasta. And I was just like, I just had to sit. Like there were so many people around me. And, you know, and I told her, I said, just breathe, gravitate to those that, you know, find the four or five that, you know, resonate with you. And you, you know, you've got something common and just gravitate to those for a little while. Then the other ones will come and you'll get to know which ones are the ones that, oh, they're the gossipers. There's the ones that, you know, you'll get to know all that, but it can be overwhelming. And, and, and I sat and I told her I was so, I was so blessed. My mother and father-in-law, you know, I met my husband, like I said, 19 turned 20, not too long after they were really the epitome of what parents are supposed to be like, you know, they, they weren't perfect, but they really showed that, that loving parent side. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, if I ever lost that camp, you know, so that I'm so glad that that camp came full circle back, you know, to you. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think like you said too, being aware that who's on, who is in your camp, who's putting up tent with you, because, um, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're sacredly held as well. I think that's powerful. Um, and I like when you talk about your house, like your inner house. Yeah, they have their house, but you have your house and how how you protect your house and um, and your belief system. It's It comes into play in so many areas in, in our lives, you know, and it's so important whether it's going through what we're talking about today, domestic violence and, and traumas, or just even friendships. You know, I, I had to release a friend um, almost two years ago, two and a half years ago, because our, I found that our ethics no longer lined up. And I was like, you need to be off my balcony because this is not what life is like for me. Right. And, um, and, and so that happens and we have to, we have to, you know, trust in our, in our gut, we're doing the right thing. And if we're not sure, like we've been talking about, I love that they, that you are offering the services you offer because we don't have enough of it. And we know, unfortunately, it's always going to be a need. And, you know, it's it's something that's always there. And so, as I've you said before, and we've talked about on the show today, is that everybody has a story. So whether you want to publish it or not, write it down. You know, I always tell the the, the my clients that I coach, even, you know, even just coming in here, just want to have balance in our life. I'm like, write your story that it's been, you know, because you have a story. And whether you publish it or not, it's your story. And if you can put it down, you can read it and be like, wow, I've come this far. Look what I've done. And, you know, and, and you, and as you write it, you might find there's a journey to go on to like what you've done to take and pay forward your experiences to help others, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I'm also glad you talked about the piece about the PTSD of it mm-hmm. because it it is real. It's, it's definitely real. And I think um, it's definitely something that we have to address, you know, and I'm glad that that's a piece that you were addressing. And um, it's interesting, every little trigger for us, everybody, it's different, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's important that we know that. So um, 
So tell us, I, I'm looking at, we're running out of time already. I can't believe this has been such a great conversation. So, so Julie, tell us, um, how can somebody reach out to you? What are some of the resources? We're also going to put everything in the show notes. So if you're listening to us, I'll be in the show notes as well, but let, let me know how they can reach out to you. Sure. Yeah. If, if you're interested in uh, coaching services that I do on the side and, or, uh, my books we're writing, I did bring one of my books with me today. Um, this is the first in my suspense series. It is on human trafficking. So be aware that if you are a victim, that, that it can be a bit triggering, but, um, it's done in a, it's, I've had enough survivors read it that have said, you know, no, it's okay. It's done. It's done well. So if you want to get a hold of me personally, my website is just my name.com, juliebonblank.com. Um, for arms, um, if you're interested in our free her journey recovery groups, and by the way, it's appropriate for teenagers too. So girls, ladies that are 14 and above also can take her journey and it's nationwide international. We have zoom groups seven days a week, as well as in-person groups. Um, we have a lot of resources. That website is just abuserecovery.org. And we're here Monday through Friday, eight to five Pacific time, um, to take phone calls if you want to talk. Um, and you can go to that website for a lot more uh, resources and information. And like I said, we'll put that on the show now. I want to talk for a little bit though too. So if somebody's listening and they they feel like somebody, we've what we've been talking about, they're like, that's my friend. You know, mm-hmm. how what can I do? I love that you talked about on the site, there's things, you know, to say or and or do. But tell us like mm-hmm. what are what would you say? That, you know, the top three things somebody can do if they feel like somebody is in a, an abusive situation or in, what would you suggest? First of all, go to the article on abuserecovery.org and the resources and then the 10 things you must know to help the survivor. Those are all really important. Um, but, you know, ideally, you know, like I said, <clears throat> the most helpful thing to say is to always believe them. And even to know if you're, even if you know the abuser and you think it's the nicest person, she or he, you know, you need to, you need to give them validation at that point, you know, and you need to believe them. Um, There is, we get a lot of call from parents with grown kids. um, And there is a good book uh, by Susan Brewster that's called Helping Her Get Free. um, Because they will absolutely call with their hearts broken. I can't get my daughter to leave, you know, this abusive guy and he's actually doing this and that and blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is, is you can't make somebody leave and you can't rescue them. You can't go in and rescue them because they will go back until they are ready. You know, they will go back. So the best thing you can do for them, if you, unless, okay, now if they're in extreme physical danger, you may need to step in. But the best thing you can do for them is empower them. You know, they have spent years in this abuse, likely, or in other abusive relationships. They are stuck. They think they don't have choices. They feel like they're stuck and they don't have choices. And you can um, absolutely, you know, empower them. So let me give you an example. I'm working with a gal who's, um, she's actually a friend, childhood friend, and she's disabled. And her husband's been very abusive, but he's also her caregiver. Um, he won't let her eat all the time. He says she's getting fat. And, and so the other day she texted me and she's like, uh, he won't let me eat breakfast and I'm starving. And I said, why won't he let you eat breakfast? And she said, because dinner was so late last night. She was like, starving and I don't know what to do. So. I made sure she was physically safe. I said, what do you think would happen if you go out there and you say, I'm going to make some food anyway? She goes, I don't know. She goes, but I've been thinking about doing that. I said, I think you can do that because, and I knew, because I knew a history that he doesn't uh, hurt her physically, not that it couldn't escalate because it could. And he also has weapons. So I was concerned about that, but I knew he was more than likely not to based on what I knew of the situation. And so she did that and she came back to her room and she had food. 
And I said, what happened? And she goes, you know, he followed me around the kitchen. He was like right here at me. And that was really intimidating. And he told me he's not going to take me to my doctor's appointment today. And I said, I am so proud of you. You know, you got your food and, and you got it safely and you did it well and you can do this. So empowerment is really key. And then later on, I'm like, what about your doctor's appointment? And you know what she told me? <laughs> She's like, I called the doctor and said, I can't come in person. Can we do it on the phone? And we did a telehealth. And I'm like, oh, you know, good for you. And so that's the, one of the biggest things you can do is just help them take their power back, you know, and renting headspace to your abuser is ridiculous. You know, it, it, we all do it. We all go through those stages where we're like, we can't stop thinking about these things our abuser has done and it's easy and this and that. And why can't they you know, recognize that they're abusive and or mentally ill or need meds or need anger management or, you know, whatever, as long as you are in that mode. And that's why the boards on Facebook, I struggle with like the narcissistic boards. As long as you are giving headspace to that person, you are giving them power over you. You take your power back and encourage your friend that they can make choices. We don't always like the choices we have, right? But they can make choices and we'll be there for them. Um, be their listening ear and believe them. And when they're ready, they will let you know that you're ready and you may be able to step in and do a little bit more. But be very cautious not to rush in or rescue them, even though you love them. It's, it's really tough, but they will likely return uh, to their abuser if they're not getting help. Yeah, that's so, I love that, like, take some of your power, take your power back. I mean, I thought, I thought maybe you were going to tell me she called an Uber for herself. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. We're not quite there yeah. yet. Okay, hopefully. Right. <laughs> but let me, but to find the, uh, the, you know, the alternatives, it's so, so powerful. I, I, um, my son, you know, we lost him, my oldest one, we lost him last July. Um, and his friend was, his friend was here uh, with this little girl and she, she was having her birthday. I think it was her, I think it was her sixth birthday. Cause she was supposed to be in kindergarten. And um, he was, he's in this custody challenge with the, with the mom of the little girl. And so the mom was putting an Apple watch on this little girl. Mm -hmm. Like she went to track her, mm -hmm. she would call her every time she was with him. And, you know, and so we're doing her birthday cake in the middle of singing birthday, the mother calls. And I watched this little girl go like totally tense up and everything. And I, I actually pulled him aside. And I said, after the cake was done and she was playing, I said, come outside for a second. And I literally looked at him, I go, you need to get some cojones. You need to take that power back because she's taking power from that little girl. And that's not fair to her. I said, you got like a year and a half to teach her about her voice, mm -hmm. you know? And I said, you've got to work on this. And I don't know what's happened. He's kind of, you know, it, I think he struggled with some of the situations and stuff, but but, you know, having that power, finding your power in, in the middle of this storm is, is so, so, so powerful. I, I just, I'm glad. And well, so, you can teach your kids to set boundaries too. You know, when they're yeah, that's, maybe you can't so much, but if you have to co-parent with your abuser, it is going to be essential as your kids grow that you teach them proper boundaries and safety and that they can say no and that their bodies right. are to be respected and they are not to be treated this way. And the more you build that up in the presence, you know, of your home, the safer they'll be. Yeah. He he actually went the next, I think like the next week they had mediation and the mediator said that watch is gone. No, yeah, there's good. no need to have that. You know. mediator. I don't always yeah. see that. So I'm no, you don't either. always see that. That's so, <laughs> no. so, so true. Counselors either. Yeah, there's so many counselors that are untrained and it breaks my heart, but that's one of the reasons that I wrote the 13 week faith-based advocacy, advocacy training that we have online on arms because I would talk to counselors and say, what training have you had in domestic abuse? And the most common answer I got was we had a film. We had a 90-minute film, and then we talked about it. And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> being a survivor and having hundreds of hours of training and realizing what a specialized thing it is, they right. have secondary trauma. 
to the people that we're trying to help, you know, when they're not educated. Yeah. So very important to be. Yeah. And that was a lot of my, too, my thought when, like I said, somebody had made the comment that, you know, at our retreat, we should have, I'm like, they're not always, you know, we we had like myself, um, you know, I do the self-care piece. We have somebody who's at the retreat who does, who's a trauma coach. And, you know, we have those pieces there. And I'm like, we have those pieces there because, you know, if things happen at the retreat, we've got the resources and not, like you said, not everybody is as trained as what we think they are in, in that area, you know? So it's so far, this has been such great conversation. And those that have been listening, we're going to put all of Julie's contacts um, in the show notes and, and you'll be able to reach out to her and follow her. She's doing amazing, amazing work and also go to her resources. Um, I did forewarn Julia ahead of time that we're going to do our better questions, better life cards. And these questions are so powerful because it's my friend, Carol Gill, who actually helps me with my retreats and her friend, Diane Allen, they created these cards. There are over 70 cards and they're just meant to ask you questions to either journal, meditate on, you know, take a copy for you, just some powerful, like get you thinking questions, right? So I'm going to shuffle them and Julie, you're going to tell me when to stop and we're going to see what your card says. So here we go. Stop. All right. So. Your question says, how am I living my life with intention? So how are you living your life with intention? Wow, that's a big one. (laughs) I became very intentional, I think, when I decided to not be a victim anymore. Um, When I decided that I was in charge of whether I'm a victim anymore. Um, I was doing a book signing once and I got a phone call. um, And it was one of those admissions of this happened when you were a kid. And I started to get panicky. I wanted to leave. I, I had a panic attack. I wanted to leave. And then I got, I started to pack up my books and I said, you know what? I am not going to do this. I am not going to act like a victim anymore. It is my choice to not act like a victim. And I went back to my book signing and I did just fine. And so for me, living with intention means to intentionally take those triggers as they come and intentionally turn them around, you know, by choice, as well as helping other people, you know, and every, everything I do, everything I'm involved in is all about, you know, helping survivors. And so that's very, very intentional on my part. That's a I great it too. Anybody listening because living with intention is so much better than living in abuse. Absolutely. And it's such yeah. a great example too, to like, not let that take that power back. Like this is, I'm not going to do this. I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. That's me. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so powerful. So I'm so glad you, I'm glad you got that card. That was a good card for you to have today. <laughs> it's always it's, a risk. I tell I you. Know, right? <laughs> So I just want to thank you again for being on. I want to remind the audience that, you know, we've just finished up our seventh annual pajama retreat. We are going back to the Gulf Shores of Alabama next September. So we have some spots left. I mean, almost half of them filled up when we left the retreat last weekend. Not even, it hasn't even been a week since uh, we were at the retreat. So we're on, we're literally in pajamas the entire weekend, no makeup. We're on the beach. We have our own private entrance to the beach. So if that sounds good to you and you're saying, I want to, I want to do something for me for a change. I just want to be with some other women that are going to uplift me, help me to be, find my radiant self and start glowing up in my life. I would love for you to join us. So all you have to do is go to wslivingretreats.com. That's wslivingretreats.com. We make it so flexible. You can pay in full six months, or I even give you one year to pay it off because I really believe you need to be there. And so let's try to make it happen for you. So I just want to remind everybody again, as you come into this world, you are this amazing oyster. You're a little rough on the outside. You got some work to do. You need to really, you know, find your camp as we've been talking about and get into your house. But as you do that inside, you're going to, you're going to find your inner pearl of greatness. 
and you deserve it. So I want you to go out today and find that inner pearl. And I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again. And remember to follow us on our YouTube channel and all of our platforms for our podcast. Thank you. My name is Pearl Sorenza. Do you know what your score is for your self-care? Find out today. Go to pearlssurvey.com. That's pearlssurvey.com and see what your score is today.